And so tonight with a lot of text, what I want to do is survey kind of the story and get us to the text we really want. Because chapter 22 is really about temptation. It's about obeying the Lord and trusting in the Lord in the time of temptation and being faithful to the Lord. So really, chapter 22 is about temptation and resisting temptation. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight as we get into the text topically. But as the story goes, they're coming up their victories, and there are at least a couple million people. In a few weeks, we'll have the new census, the census that ends their journey. They had a census to start their journey. They'll have another census at the end of their journey. Similar numbers, different people. Same people ethnically, the Jews, but the changeover of generations because it's always in motion. And so they're a large group of people. And Balak sees them as a threat. And he looks out over the plain of Moab, and he sees a couple million Jewish people, and he just thinks the worst thing possible. What we want to understand as he was looking at the Jewish people is they were not a threat to him. Because later on in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God spoke to Moses and said, don't, don't mess with Moab. They're not your deal. I'm not giving you the land of Moab on the east side of the Jordan. I'm giving you the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan. So Moab's nothing to you. Even as he told him to go around Edom. Now God told him to go around Edom because the Edomites are the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. Moab is the descendants of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. So that's their background. Ben Ammon and he's the descendant and the Moabites come from him. So just being that close to Abraham, being his nephew, and we're told that Lot was righteous, righteous Lot, we're told in the New Testament. His descendants are set aside by God hundreds of years later as having their own place on planet Earth and not in conflict with the nation of Israel. That's the way it was meant to be. There's also Midianites on the east side as well of the Jordan River, and they're going to become perpetual enemies of Israel during the book of Judges when Gideon's thrashing the wheat and hiding. It's the Midianites who come into the land. These are the people on the east side, the Moabites and the Midianites, but the Moabites, they're not... They're not God's enemies, and they're not the enemies of Israel. But unfortunately, when Balak looked upon them, he saw them as his enemies and a threat to him and his kingdom. So he presumes the worst, not really seeking the Lord, not even seeking Moses to call for Moses like many times, things like this. Kings sent emissaries, and they're like, hey, what's up? Like, well, we're two and a half million people. God's made to come with us. We're going that way across the Jordan and to Canaan. We want no trouble with you. We're not going to touch any of your stuff. But that's not what Balak did. What he did instead is he was moved by fear and unbelief and even just not even find out for himself really what the intentions of Israel were, which were not hostile or aggressive. He sends for Balaam, this mystery prophet of the Old Testament. Balaam evidently knew the Lord. He certainly does as we get to our text in a moment. He knew the Lord. He spoke for the Lord. He pronounced blessings from the Lord. and He pronounced curses from the Lord. And his reputation, coming from the modern area of like Iraq, is that whatever he blessed was blessed, whatever he cursed was cursed. So Balak gets his friends and he sends money, the, the higher money pays, he's going to pay for the prophet to come and curse Israel. That's, that's the game. So he puts together elders of the Midianites and the Moabites, the allies on the east, and he sends these guys to go find Balaam to come curse Israel because in his superstitious religious mind that if he does that, Israel won't be a threat to him, and he'll keep all of his wealth and his land and his prestige and his power and all those things that men like that love to have. That's the background to it. So those men were sent out, and they come to Balaam, and this is where we pick up our text tonight. We pick it up in verse 9. 
the men have come to the house of Balaam. They've, they've said, we want you to come and curse and do these things. And so they're, they're staying, these princes and these people that were sent, these emissaries, they're staying with Balaam that night. And then in verse 9, the Lord comes to Balaam and we read this. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people's come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go at them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went back to Balak, and they said as they came to him, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they, or those he had previously sent. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse his people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. This is the passage of scripture we want to focus on tonight. Now we know from after this text, Balaam does go with them. The angel of the Lord, Jesus in the Old Testament appearing, because the text interprets it that it is what we call a theophany or Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Remember, Christ doesn't just show up as the virgin from the Virgin Mary. Christ is all things are made by him and for him and held together in him, and in him all things consist. And at various times in the Old Testament, we have the angel of the Lord or the command of the Lord's army, possibly Melchizedek. We have appearances where Christ comes out of eternity into time, space, and matter and is moving things toward what he's ultimately going to do on the cross. And as this story progressed, the angel of the Lord is standing in the way unseen to Balaam as he's going toward Balak in Moab. But the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And thus the Lord allows the donkey. We're actually told even the New Testament is reaffirmed. The donkey speaks with the, the voice of a man to Balaam. And so Balaam engages this conversation with the donkey. He's beating the donkey because the donkey keeps stopping because of the angel of the Lord. Engages in this conversation with this donkey. Is just out of his mind with going in the wrong direction against the Lord. And he acknowledges that it was the Lord on the way. If you want me to go or not go, please make it be clear. The Lord allows him to go and he goes. And he comes to Balaam. And we left off the end of the chapter on Tuesday night. We only read one chapter where there, where they offer up offerings to Baal, the false god, Balaam and Balak are looking over the nation of Israel at the people and seeing how great they are. So that's where we left off verse by verse on Tuesday night, and that's where the text would have taken us if we went verse by verse through the chapter. But again, this, the apex, the high tide watermark of this story, and the entire story and legacy of Balaam is in these verses that we read verse by verse. For we are told in the New Testament that he loved the wages of unrighteousness. We know that he was driven for money. He was driven by wealth. 
And we see hints of that in the text tonight. But the New Testament, looking back, tells us that eventually he never does curse God's people. He blesses them four times with these prophecies because he can only, he'll only say what the Lord told him to say. And Balak tells him, if you'd just been smarter, I could have given you all this money and all this prestige, but you didn't curse them. But what Balaam actually did is he realized and explained to Balak, if you can get your women to sleep with these men and commit sexual morality and worship your gods, then God will chasten his people and he will judge them. But right now he's blessing them. But if you do that, then you can still get your end result as if he's going to outsmart God. So Balaam did receive wealth. He came up with a plan by which Israel could be destroyed where God himself would destroy them. But as we know, the New Testament, the Old Testament tells us that God catches the wise in their own craftiness. And the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. And Balaam is one of those examples. So that's the whole panoramic of Balaam tonight and even Tuesday night, verse by verse, and next Saturday topically. And we'll dive in more on different things Tuesday and Saturday. But we need to kind of know the whole story as we're looking at this life and this moment of temptation. Because it's kind of like Achan in the book of Joshua. He saw, he lusted, and he took. And there are flashpoints with temptation where things happen rapidly and it reveals what's in us. And if we make the right decisions, we're going to be blessed and bring blessings on ourselves and those we love and potentially even future generations for generations to come. But if we make the wrong choice in those moments and we don't make things right at that moment, there's a time when a day or even a week or a short period of time can profoundly impact our life adversely forever with the Lord in time, space, and matter in the earthly journey, and even our fruit for eternity, and can affect generations behind us, many generations. We know that because God brings blessings on future generations or he visits the iniquities on the children to the third and fourth generation and the impact of how things affect. So for example, when Achan took the cursed thing there in the book of Joshua, his entire family perished with him. And we know that. So here with Balaam and this story of these guys coming the first time, and then it cranks up the second time, we get a lot of insight onto temptation and what it means to confront these things, fight through these things, and do what's right. And we can look at other New Testament and Old Testament examples where people made really good decisions that we can grow and learn from tonight. Because of all things we want to do in 2021, walk with the Lord obediently has to be top of the list, right? I mean, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the great commandment, and to love your neighbor as yourself is the second. And that is what the Holy Spirit's going to do in our life as we seek to live a Spirit-filled life. And so that's going to be reflected in obedience. So all the things that we can't control that are going to impact our life in 2021, the one thing we do control is the decisions of the person we see in the mirror. And the person you see in the mirror, the person I see in the mirror, that person is going to be tempted. That person is going to have the potential to make good choices or bad choices. And some of our decisions are going to be very far reaching for good or bad and how they impact our life. And so as we think about a new year message here on January 2nd, what can be more pertinent than considering how God has a call in our life? He wants us to obey his word in our life and the devil's against us. And he, the world, the flesh, and the devil work together in unholy trinity, the world system, our fleshly sinful nature, and the devil tempting, because he is the tempter, and we're the tempted, and we're tempted by certain things, because in this story, the, the tempted is Balaam, the tempter is Balak, 
And the temptation is the great wealth and prestige. And we can break that down for any of us. And we know from the Gospel of Luke that Satan departed from Jesus during his temptation until an opportune time. And Peter the Apostle said in 1 Peter that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've made it through 2021, and it was a tough schedule. But 20, excuse me, 2020, we made it through a tough schedule, 2020. But now we're looking at 2021, and who knows what 2021 is going to bring. We can't say, oh, wow, man, woo, we made it through 2020. Like the, like the guy in the story with Jesus. And now I say to myself, do well, soul. You've done well for yourself. Build bigger barns, and let's kick back and relax. No. <laughs> right away, know this. No one's relaxing in 2021. Not that any of you think you're going to relax in 2021. Right? I mean, you don't really think, like, 2021 is going to become, like, soft like a Twinkie and easy peasy for the human race. We've been with the foot soldiers. The horsemen are probably coming. And the key to us standing strong in whatever goes on around us in our external environment is who we are in the secret and the quiet place in our inner woman, in our inner man when we're tempted and the decisions we make. And I speak for myself. We individually, we need to make good decisions in 2021 with the Lord. When we're tempted, we need to make the right decisions. We need to obey God's word and do the right thing. And so this text is very pertinent to us because Balaam could have been a super awesome hero of the Bible. Instead, he's just a tra- another tragedy in the Bible. But even more so than a Samson, because Samson still made good decisions and did some good things. But this is just all... It's just bad, really bad. Like, almost like Judas bad. I mean, probably is like Judas bad. It's really bad. It didn't have to be that way. So we have the tempted, Balaam, the tempter, Balak, and the temptation. Well, the New Testament interprets that, interprets that for us. So if you think about this, the first thing I want to point out to you, when we make decisions this year in our personal lives, with the person we see in the mirror, day to day, it says in verse 17, God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. This is very simple, isn't it? Like, the guys are there. They've come. And Balaam says, what do I do? And the Lord says, you won't go with them. Okay, what part of not going with them do you not understand here? You parents with kids, especially older kids, like, so what part of this do you not understand? You are not going to the party. Like, What part do you not understand about this? You are not going to do this. And you're not going to curse these people because they are blessed. There's three things. You don't go with them. You don't curse them because they're blessed. Kind of like a negative, a negative, and a positive. And really, we see in the Bible quite often, put off the old man, put on the new man, right? So we we get that, the works of the flesh, the, the fruit of the spirit. So often the Bible tells us what we should be and what he wants for us by what we're not to be. Like Habakkuk chapter 2. Behold the proud, his soul is not right in him, but the just shall live by faith. Right? So this is a proud Babylonian. That's not you. This is a humble servant, Daniel, Jeremiah, Esther. That's you. See, God gives us contrast. So we've got a negative, negative. Now, a lot of times people think that the Lord's all about, you shall not, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not curse, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet. Yeah, those are really bad things to do. Some people just don't like to be told no. Your kids don't like to be told no. Our two-year-old grandson right now, Velzi, he loathes the word no. 
He, he mocks the word no. I mean, I've seen some two-year-olds mock the word no, but Pelosi's right up there with all-time two-year-olds mocking the word no. You say no to him, he's like, no, back. See, like, we don't like no. But no, you can't drink the poison underneath the sink. No, you can't run across the freeway construction because that's a really bad idea. No. See, there's a lot of no's that are to our benefit. No, don't paddle out where it says sharks are in the water. Like there's no's that are, they're there for a reason. In God's universe, there's things that are no, no, and things that are yes. There's things that are very bad and destructive and things that bless. His word is not complicated. And as we've mentioned a few times recently, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, which is from the book of Deuteronomy. And it's never the tricky things in the Bible that really give us trouble. And there's not many of them. It's the simple things. In 33 years of being a pastor, and most of uh, the like, serious pastoral things I've been pulled into, it's, it's not like some obscure thing, the latter reign of Joel. It's like, she cheated on me, he cheated on me. It's because she did this, he did that, he did that, this, that thing, everything else. And you lied and you stole. And, you know, it's arbitration in the human experience. It's because people who confess Christ didn't do the most basic things of, of obedience to the word that they're told to do. In 33 years, I can't tell you how many times, like, you shall not commit adultery. And someone says, when there's been adultery, they go, yeah, but it was her, if she'd been more loving, if he'd been more loving. And we just justify things. And people say, God wants me happy. And they don't want to hear no. 1992, there in Virginia Beach, with another pastor next to me, confronting that big, gnarly Navy SEAL. He was a Navy SEAL, like, you know, Navy, big time. Guy was chiseled, man. He was teaching our children's ministry, fifth grade. Him and his wife. But he had left his wife. He was committing adultery against his wife. He was committing adultery against his wife, and I didn't know this, and when it came to my attention, I had to deal with it right away. But he was teaching our children's ministry. We can't even imagine something like that here. But that's what's happening. And I remember confronting him, saying, like, what do you even say to that situation? But like, you're so seared right now in your conscience because you're committing adultery against your wife, and you're teaching these fifth-grade boys in our class do you understand the spiritual principle you're doing? And, and um, you need, you, we need you to repent and, and be right with the Lord and reconciled to your wife. And he just looked at me and said, God wants me to be happy. And I'm happy. And not with my wife. And this other woman, her children now call me dad. And I can't let them down. It was crazy. I've seen people go to church, confess Christ, and think they're right with the Lord in that very situation. That person that night was convinced he was in God's will and right with God. And I'm the one that to confront him and tell him, don't come back to the church, and now you put me in a place where I need to say something to the entire church because you're teaching our kids. You shall not go with them you shall not curse them, for they are blessed. What part of the simplicity of God's word don't we get? Don't I get? Don't you get? See, the word of the Lord is pure. His word is lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And that word of the Lord, I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
It's a restraint against evil. So in this case of Balaam, in this situation, this is the foundation of all that went wrong in his life because at this very moment, all he had to do is say, yes, I believe that. I receive that. Look, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it, right? That's what we say so often about the promises of God. God said, you don't go with them. And then he says, you don't curse them because they're blessed. All he had to do is take those three things, those three bullet points, put them on his mirror, put them on his refrigerator, tattoo them with magic marker on his hand, and just let that be a lamp into his feet and a light into his path. That was his plumb line. That was his compass for what God's will is for your life. Hey, the next morning, Balaam, we're his neighbor. Yo, Balaam, what's up? What's God's will for your life? What's the word of the Lord? I'm not to go with them. I'm not to curse them because God's blessed them. So you see him getting on a donkey a few weeks later. Dude, what are you doing? Right? See, it was so clear, so simple. There's a simplicity and a clarity to God's word that if we just read it, believe it, and receive it and obey it, we will be blessed. When Jesus was tempted those three times, he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. To make the right choices when he was victorious where Adam had failed, and he's the second Adam, he's victorious, and then we're told to follow that example against the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in 1 John by the Holy Spirit through John the Apostle, It's the scriptures. It's the word of God. We're told to resist the devil and he will flee. So we stand on the word and we know that no temptation has overtaken us, which is such as common to man and God who is faithful will provide a way of escape. There was a way of escape for Balaam from this. And the way of escape was God says it. I believe it. That settles it. That's this is where verse 12. It's all there. You know who lived their life like this was Daniel. Because when Daniel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians around 586 BC in that range, when he got to Babylon and they stripped him of his identity, gave him a new name, taught him a new language, new culture, completely tried to just re-educate him, if you will. It says he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. You see, the key to Daniel's success in a much more harrowing situation than Balaam's. Balaam's is just to get rich. Daniel's just to make it through. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. See, it was never an option to do anything other than You shall not go, you shall not curse, for they are blessed. Like if you tell Daniel, you don't go, you don't curse, they're blessed. You know what Daniel says? Hey, I don't go, I don't curse, and they're blessed. That's what an obedient heart does. Because Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. If God had said the same thing to Daniel, that's exactly how he would have responded. Well, I purpose in my heart not to defile myself. I'm going to obey the Lord. So if God says don't go, I'm not going. If God says don't curse them, I'm not cursing them. If God says they're blessed, they're blessed, and I'm aligning myself with their blessings. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to open my window three times a day and face Jerusalem to see those blessings and believe those blessings, which is exactly what Daniel did in Babylon. Another example of this type of integrity at the flashpoint of temptation is Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. You know David's mighty man? What a contrast. Because David, we're told in the spring when kings go to battle, he doesn't go to battle. He stays at home. And there he sees beautiful Bathsheba 
uh, probably topless on from a, the top of his palace. And he had multiple wives. He just could take whatever woman he wanted, but she was married to someone else. So that's off limits. And David sees her. He lusts for her. He takes her. She gets pregnant. As soon as he finds out from Bathsheba she's pregnant, what does he do? Now, Uriah is one of his 30 mighty men. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of warriors in David's mighty army during that 12, 13-year reign when they're getting ready to come to power and the seven years when he rules over Judah and then the unification of the northern tribes. Uriah is pretty special is what I'm saying. If it's World War II, he's a two-star general, right? He's, he's up there. Uriah is like, I mean, there's, a, there's not 300 mighty men. There's 30 mighty men, right? And he's one of them. He gets called back from the war, and David's like, hey, how's it going on the battlefront? He's got this great plan. Go, go home now. Yeah, just go home and see your wife. Because David wanted Uriah to be sexually intimate with his wife, so when she was pregnant, Uriah would think it was his child. But Uriah wouldn't do it. He's like, how can I go be with my wife when the, my compatriots in war are at the battlefront risking their life? How can I be with my wife intimately? See how much integrity there is there? That's just like you talk about like a, a team player, like a warrior and the, you know, the culture of a team. Like, how can I? See, this is a man of deep character and integrity. And then David's all, oh, man, he's one of those guys. So I'm going to get him drunk. Now, just having a discussion with one of my children the other day about they were saying what they, with alcohol, what always terrifies them about alcohol is that it removes your common sense, right? Like many of you know that. Um, but you just, you just suddenly like do things you wouldn't do otherwise. It removes these restraints. So David's like, hey, we'll get Uriah like drunk. And he'll, he'll be like, yeah, he removed all those high standards and lofty standards that he has. Like, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse them. They're blessed. Like all that kind of stuff. That'll go right out the window since he start drinking. He'll go home and be with his wife and this is good to go. But he didn't do that. Even when he was stone drunk. He, in all that inebriation, he maintained the integrity and the character of his heart. For his convictions of his integrity, what he had purposed in his life that he would not do. David could not weaken Uriah's convictions, even with alcohol. And now as if for Uriah, he would die for it. He would die for it. David, of course, had him sent to the heat of the battle, and he was killed in combat, and died with his integrity. And the consequences for David, of course, were so far-reaching that Second Samuel is pretty much all about what went wrong with all of his offspring after that. You see, Balaam could have been somebody great in these couple of verses here, but instead he became someone not so great because he didn't make the right decision. He didn't have the moral backbone. He didn't have the compass of right and wrong. He didn't have the plumb line. This is a line I never crossed. He had none of that. He's like, he's a prophet for hire. He knows the Lord. He's blessed. And it's but what's in it for him. And it's, it's scary. It's, it's scary and it's sobering. He didn't, he didn't stand strong at the point of contact, at the first temptation. In fact, we get some insight to what really was wrong with him in verse 13, where it says, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Well, he sounds like a victim right there, huh? Oh, yeah, I would go, but, you know, the Lord has refused me. Yeah, I want to go to the party, but mom and dad said no. Like, I would go to the big party, but, like, my parents have said no. Like, whenever you said that, like, you really want to go to the party, and you're blaming your parents. 
So see, this reveals his heart. This is also critical to the false point of who he is and what he could have done. Because here's where we see his lack of faith and his lack of trust in the Lord. Instead of just aligning himself with God's heart, God's mind, God's character, God's integrity, he just is like, well, I, 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 you know, God's forbidding me from going with you. And you know me, I'm like a churchgoer, I can't go. Like, God's forbidding me from going with you. It's unfair. Somehow it's unreasonable. Like, God's forbidding me. Would, would Daniel, for example, be like, I don't want to defile myself. Like, he's not like, hey, I would really like to eat the forbidden fruit and touch the forbidden women and drink all the alcohol the king has. But, you know, I'm a Jewish. Like, that's not what Daniel did. Daniel's like, no, man. I don't eat what you eat. I don't drink what you drink. I don't dance to your music. And I definitely don't chase your girls. Test me for 10 days and see who looks better. And I'll save all of you as soon as the king has that dream. Because I'll be interpreted. You see the difference? When you're a parent and you have a great relationship with your children and you say, son, daughter, I don't think this is the right college for you. I don't think this is the right relationship for you or whatever you might say. When you have a loving relationship and there's a lot of love and respect there and you share that, it's received. Like, wow, man, like, gosh, my mom and dad, or as we used to say to our kids sometimes, do you think we're for you or against you? Like, my track record for you as a parent, have I proven before you or against you? For me. Okay, yeah. Like, do you think I'm out to destroy your life with some diabolical plan to keep you from ever having joy in life? Well, no. Okay. All the fruit you see is a result of Christ in our life. That's good. It can be in your life. This is, trust me, we're trying to help you here. This is a good decision we're trying to help you make. And if the child, adult child, particularly in this context, yeah, you're right. Like the old 50s TV show, Father Does Know Best. Father knows best. I mean, who didn't trust Ward Cleaver? We'd leave it to Beaver, right? I mean, we got the Leave It to Beaver DVDs about 15 years ago with our kids, or CDs, and we watched the first two seasons of Leave It to Beaver, and like, I mean, didn't you just, just so fell in love with Ward Cleaver again? Like, that's a dad. Like, that's a 50, like, Ward Cleaver. Gee, Beef, you know, like, and, it, you, you, and you would trust the dad. See, Balaam didn't really know the Lord. He didn't understand the character of the Lord, the heart of the Lord. And he definitely didn't understand the covenants of the Lord. God has blessed Israel, and to this day, they're blessed. And like I said Tuesday night, we're blessed because our president said, you can make Jerusalem your capital, and we'll recognize it, because that is their capital. God is not going to change in who he is, his universe, his will for his universe, and his covenants. And we want to put ourselves on the right side of the covenants where the blessings are and not put ourselves on the side where we're going with the wrong people to do the wrong things, especially looking forward in our lives in 2021. God, the Lord's refused to give me permission. That's just, a miss, that's just missing the whole point. See, religious people miss the point. They want to be religious and go to heaven and just earn it or something. But people of relationship understand that God is loving and God is gracious, and God is merciful, and he's working in our lives, and we see his personal fingerprints and handiwork on our lives, and we see him close doors and open doors, and our life is like the book of Acts, because he's the living God. Jesus isn't in the tomb. Lenin's in his tomb. Remember, I've been to Red Square. Lenin is in his tomb, and I've been to the empty tomb in Jerusalem, and Jesus is not in that tomb. Lenin's dead, Jesus at the right hand of the Father. 
Lenin is where he chose to go. Jesus is coming back as Lord of the universe. So God is good. God is the final authority. And his word, he exalts above his name, right? Like he says that, like my word's exalted even above my name. He wants us to read his word, know his word, believe, receive his word, believe it, and obey it. And that is the basic game plan for 2021. It's like a football team. Okay, here's the playbook. We get the ball, we hand it to you. If you know football, off the A-gap. We're just going to do this. It's like, basically, here's the playbook. We read the Bible, we believe the Bible, we obey the Bible, we do what's right. Go. Less is more. And there's a simplicity of this whole story that just is stunning to me as I've taught it Tuesday and prepared to teach it tonight. Keep it simple, because it is simple. As Pastor Chuck used to say, people don't reject the gospel for lack of evidence and truth. They reject it because they don't want to obey it. And God gives us choice. So we want to make the right choices. So when we're tempted in 2021, be it minor or major, God help us to realize what the Lord is showing us. Don't go with them. Don't curse them. They're blessed. That we will receive that and not try and fight that or resist that. Like Jesus said to Paul the Apostle when he saw, it's hard to kick against the goads. We will never win when we're fighting God. He's got a will for this universe. He's got a will for our lives. And plan A is going to always be better than plan B. I don't understand plan B. Plan B is a funny thing. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, it's like a chessboard. Like, with choice and sovereignty, he'll let us do something. And it seems like not really the A plan, plan A, but it's plan B. But somehow by his grace, he'll redeem it and use it. Like, I don't understand that. But I understand this. You won't go with them. You won't curse them. They're blessed. Do you understand that? See, I try to explain to you permissible or plan B. We could be here all night, like, drinking coffee and talking lofty ivory tower stuff. I have time for that. I'm not interested in that because that's what belongs to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord. What's revealed to us and to our children is right here. You don't go with them. You don't curse them. They're blessed. So you keep that, your, keep that our life this year going forward. For us as a church, for you as an individual, for our families, for the body of Christ worldwide. To obey the obvious things. The church is going to always be the church. Whatever we face from governments or anything that could come our way, we're going to keep being the church. And God's word is going to continue to be the standard for his church, for our church. And we want to help the body of Christ globally continue to be who we are. Because Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. And what is forbidden is forbidden. What is not to do is not to do. And what is blessed is blessed. So stay away from that and move toward that. That's what we want to do. Now, we also see that Eventually, he crossed the line. So we see the temptation, and then we see his blame in the Lord. And as you progress through verse 15, the temptation rises, okay? So the, the devil will crank it up. So, you know, here come they sent more princes, more numerous, and more honorable than they. More, 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 right? Like the devil poured on. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? More money? What will we risk for what? the devil's always looking for the price, the price of betrayal. For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. Man, he didn't get to spend it either. 
They also tempted him with, honor you greatly, do whatever you ask. And again, we see Balaam's heart in verse 18. He says, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. I wonder what he's thinking of. It even says that, right? Like, gee, Balaam, what's on your mind? Well, if he even gave me his house full of silver and gold, how do you know he's got a house full of silver and gold? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, if even, you know, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not going, he gave me a house full, his whole house full of silver and gold. Sometimes when people say stuff, like out of the bones of a heart, does a person speak? (laughs) Yeah. He's singing about a house full of silver and gold and how he can technically obey the Lord, but still get what he wants from Balak, the honor and the wealth. And you just, it's one or the other. You're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the devil. But you can't serve both. Jesus said it's impossible to serve God and mammon, right? It's impossible. Balaam was trying to go for that. And then he said in verse 18, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Isn't that funny? Because God already gave him his word. God already gave him his word. No, no, they're blessed. And I was like, well, now let me just go back and see if there's something more. Like, what more do you need to hear? Well, go back and ask your parents again if you can go to the party. Well, they already said no. Well, just go ask them again. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe you promised to mow the lawn on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? Like, God's not a human. He's God. He's perfect. He's, the, he's our creator. We're the clay. He's the potter. This is, this is all where Balaam failed right here, this, this whole thing. The first wave of temptation, he did not have the integrity. He did not have the character. He did not understand God's character, God's heart, God's promises, God's universe, or God's covenant. He just has this power that God gave him that is not surrendered to the Lord. He's just got lust in his heart for covetousness and wealth that is just going to destroy his soul and cost him his life. That's what he's got. And somehow God's unfair to him in refusing to give him permission. And the devil knows he can come back on that person because they're not like Daniel. How many times do we read about Daniel being tempted with eating the wrong food and all that stuff? We don't. Just once. And then when he has to go in the lion's den, who else would you expect to stand there except Daniel because he's a man of integrity and character. He's already proved himself in his teen years. Of course he's going to be the guy in his 60s to hang out with the lions all night. It's not his first rodeo. Maybe it's a different temptation for Daniel at that time, like fear of being devoured by a lion is a little different than like not eating food that's defiled for an Israelite. But if you're going to stumble over this one, the devil's just going to keep coming after it, keep coming after it, keep coming after it. And if he knows that this is the weakness and this is the breach in the wall, he's just going to come after it. And he knows you're going to fold and capitulate. He knows that about me. He knows that about you. He knows that about us, the human race, the human experience. Yep, he knows that. Where did Balaam ultimately go wrong? When he crossed the line. See, I may know what more the the Lord will say to me. There was nothing more for the Lord to say. That was the problem. And he said, I won't say anything more than what the Lord says, but he actually did. The story gets really eclectic after verse 22. The Lord's like, okay, yeah, you can go. Or verse 20, like, yeah, you can go. Go with them, but don't say more than what I tell you to say. Listen, it, it says in verse 21 that Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. All you have to do is compare that verse to the verse where God says, don't go with them, don't curse them, they're blessed. 
So whatever the, the previous verse where God says, okay, you can, you know, only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. Now, God still spoke prophecies through those four prophetic words of Balaam. But Balaam gets wiped out. God uses a talking donkey and a worthless prophet, and he still gets glory. I don't want God to get glory in my life because I'm a talking donkey or a worthless prophet, and neither do you. We want God to get glory because we're plan A, we're seeking his will, we're receiving his will, and we're doing the best we can to obey his will. That's our life. That's what we want our life to be in 2021. And by the way, if a donkey starts talking to you, or a guinea pig, or a cat or a dog, not guinea pig language, but like guinea pig talking man language, um, you probably should stop and think very seriously about where you're going and what you're doing. It really happened. The donkey really did talk with a human voice. And this guy still went his way because he'd already crossed that line. When he got on that donkey, he got on a donkey that's going to talk. And he's crossed a line. The one Pastor Chuck used to warn about that you cross a line that you never come back from. And each line you cross that takes away from the Lord is dangerous territory to even try and return from. So we need to be very careful what lines we cross. I mean, if you know you've crossed lines, I've crossed lines that we, we, we try and retract from and come back from the rest of our life and not go back over those lines. We understand that. James Dobson used to talk about with sexual temptation and those things with focus on the family, how there's different lines you cross as you move towards sexual immorality. And as you cross each line, you very rarely ever retract from those boundaries, but you keep progressing toward the other uh, lines and crossing them. And we find it to be very true in the human experience. Not all, heroin, not all people who smoke weed become heroin addicts, but almost all heroin addicts started smoking weed. This line, that line, that line. You got on your talking donkey, and you went the wrong direction, and then when the angel of the Lord tried to stop you, he still said, well, should I still go? Like, just turn around already. Don't go, don't curse. They're blessed. See, that's what happens. So my final exhortation to all of us, myself included, in leading the way is we need to make sure that we're right where God wants us to be. And as we start 2021, we want to put ourselves where the blessings are. And if we've crossed lines, we want to come back from those lines. And we want the boundaries that God gives us. The Bible tells us don't remove the ancient boundaries because those are God's boundaries, his word. So we want to be in those boundaries. We want to stay in the boundaries that are our boundaries. We want to stay in the field of play. And we don't want to cross lines that we'll regret for our personal integrity and character and its impact on the people we love our calling, eternity, and the human race in 2021. I don't expect non-believers to stay on this side of what's good and right, but I want to stay on this side of what's good and right because that's what God's called me to do, and I want to maintain my witness, and you want to maintain your witness, and we want to, keep, we want to be stronger in our integrity, we want to be stronger in our character, and we want to be more faithful than we've ever been in any previous year of our life for the Lord, right? Like, we don't want to go backwards, so the way forward is just a greater commitment like Daniel or Uriah or Esther. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. But this is what we're doing. That's who we want to be in 2021. This guy failed the first temptation because his heart wasn't right. and He didn't have it right with the Lord. And then he was just, a, he rolled over for the second temptation all because he played games with God and didn't just let God be God. He didn't let Jesus be Lord. And as Billy Graham used to say, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We want Jesus to be Lord in our personal lives, in our homes, and in this church in 2021. 